Johnny, my man, what's up? Not much, my brother. How are you? I'm super stoked about this conversation uh, and just sharing your story. Um, yeah, it's interesting. We we haven't really known each other that long. We just no. we crossed paths at uh, at the good old Sun Life here in, yeah. in Austin, the hippie mecca. Yeah, you yeah. go there quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. One might say daily. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's so, what's so special about that place for you? Man, I really feel like the uh, the energy, and then of course after meeting Khalil, you know that's uh, he's a whole another level of energy. And so I feel like every time that you're there, you meet someone new, exciting, also has a great story. And it's kind of like we all build off each other. So the universe likes to channel who I'm meant to see that day. I, you know, you have the same experience. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It, uh, shout out to Khalil and Sun Life. Hopefully I can get like maybe a, a couple <laughs> free smoothies because it's like really expensive smoothies there. Yeah, actually. yeah. I just had the, the new one today, the goat. The goat? Is that a new smoothie? They it's put coming on out. Yeah, I don't think it's officially out yet. Oh man, it's got some coffee, colostrum, and some good stuff. But they're, I think they're going to end up donating part of the proceeds to a, a foundation of some sort. So yeah, definitely have to check out Sun Life and oh, see that epic. for more information. Yeah, I have this this weird thing where I'll just get a hit in the middle of the day. Like you should go to Sun Life to get a smoothie, and I'll go there and I'll just like randomly meet somebody. And it's like, it's interesting because I have my calendar full of all these meetings and yeah. meeting people and connecting. And it's like, oh, let's put it in the calendar, and then. You know, we'll, we'll go have a, a coffee or a smoothie. But when I find myself, I just need to go to Sun Life. And it's like an intuitive, like mm. exactly what I needed, the conversation I needed, the people I needed to connect to. And it's yeah. interesting to connect. What if life would be like that? Where you like fully trust mm. that everybody you meet is exactly yeah. in the right timing. There's a really good saying that uh, I read somewhere. And I actually ended up writing it on my bathroom mirror. It says, I trust what happens when I trust myself. Mm. I think it really harks back to intuition, you know, because life is so much more beautiful when you ride the wave, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into all of that, the self riding the wave. Uh, but first, uh, would love to drop in with you and everybody listening to this. Just want to start with gratitude for everybody that's finding their way to this podcast, to this conversation. I really hope that it is impactful or inspiring in whatever way that you need. And uh, really love just dropping in, taking a few breaths together, uh, not only with the guests, but everybody that's listening. Uh, I think it's really cool to experience, although we're recording this and in this moment in time, it's not out into the world quite yet, but wherever somebody's listening to it, they're sharing this moment with us, which is really cool. And I found that like when we drop in together and the people listening, dropping in, they really, their presence is felt in the room in this Mm. conversation, which is really cool. Yeah. So wherever you're at, if you're driving, you can just connect to the energy if you're walking. But if you find, uh, if you can find some stillness uh, and maybe take a seat and just take the next few minutes to slow down with us, gently close your eyes if it feels good. Begin bringing your awareness inward, finding that center, whatever that means for you. to your body, noticing how you're feeling in this moment without judgment, noticing if you're feeling tension, any energy or blockages in your body, feeling how your body takes up space in the space around you. space in this present moment, 
Begin feeling the weight of your body against the ground, against your seat. Feeling the gravity pulling you down towards the earth. Feeling the connection to the earth through this invisible force we call gravity, hugging you, supporting you, keeping you close, bringing gratitude to the earth for the support, for the nourishment, for the opportunity to live this beautiful experience of life. Bringing your awareness to your breath. Noticing how you're breathing in this moment, where you're breathing in your body. Bringing gratitude to the breath. For always reminding us we're just one breath away from the present moment. into your heart, this beautiful center of love, compassion, connection, noticing how you're feeling in your heart in this moment, no matter where you're at in life, what you may be moving through, any challenges, any celebrations, know that you are not alone you are loved, and you are connected to something so much bigger, allowing our hearts to open for this conversation, allowing the words, the wisdom, the experiences, the stories to flow through us, may they impact those ears that they find in a positive way. Let's all take a few breaths together, starting with a deep breath in through the nose. Long, slow exhale out the mouth. Again, deep breath in. And release. One more deep breath. And let it go. When you're ready, you can open your eyes and carry on with your day as you listen to this beautiful conversation with my man, Donnie. Mm. How was that? That was beautiful, man. Always need some more of that. I know, right? Yeah. It's so simple. Yeah. You, you know, something as simple as the breath we kind of forget and maybe take for granted until it's taken from us, right? Like people with asthma, like all you want to do when you have an asthma attack is breathe, mm. you know? Take and, it for granted. Yeah. And so, I mean, don't even think about it. Mm. My wife has asthma mm. and it's interesting, like such a deep psychosomatic experience for her. And it's, she's mm. like going deep into like the healing of it, you know? And right. it's so funny, like our, not funny, but it's interesting that the Western culture, it's like asthma is just a, it's just a thing that you like, you can't really heal. You just, you're just born with it. You gotta do this thing. But to, to know that some people are going deep into the psychosomatic kind of emotional trauma that everything's connected to yeah. and how it shows up in physical ways. And um, so I'm very connected to asthma and how it affects her. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's some deep, deep, deep work. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole big can of worms, man. Cause you get into sick care versus healthcare and you know, how the, the physical manifestation of energetic, you know, work or trauma that we have. And that's like, like I said, whole nother rabbit hole can of worms, man. So props yeah. to your wife for, uh, for delving down that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm super proud of her. Yeah. Um, so I want to dive right into, I think the cool thing, uh, about your story is the fact that you're, you're you've been a cop for ten plus years, about eight years, yeah, eight I'm years. coming up on the on a decade, yeah, yeah, and it, I think just really interesting because I, I connected with you in the fact that you're 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 a cop in law enforcement, but you're such an incredibly grounded man, and you're so light and loving, and really on this spiritual path of deepening your connection with with yourself. And um, I just think it's it's really fascinating. I'm excited to to share some of that story and just bring some of that. That wisdom, because I think a lot of people have an idea of of police officers, especially in today's society and culture, that's not very positive. Right. Right. Yeah, it's very true. And um, something I take personally, you know, I could do a better job at uh, not doing so because it's not my experience. It's theirs. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not responsible for how others see me. At the same time, though, um, my part of my purpose is to change the dynamic, to shift it and to be that bridge of understanding between the policing subculture and society. Mm. Yeah. So, so when you, do you experience people? Cause like naturally, right. When people, you walk into a room or you're wearing your, your uniform, uh, you're driving around. Do you get like that energetic kind of judgment and, and viewed differently? And how is that experience for you? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, and I'm a very sensitive person anyway, so I can feel it before I even see it in reality. Um, but it's, it's, a uh, it goes both ways. It's not all bad or all good, uh, but there's not a whole lot of in between. You know, mm. it's it's like a religion and politics, right? If you want to split a room, that's what you talk about. And I think you can know when somebody's like their views pretty quickly just from their energy when you walk up to them. Or yeah, and I love. I think part of the joy of that is that I get to surprise people. Mm. You know, for those that don't know who I am or these preconceived notions of who I am because of a uniform, um, it's nice to surprise them with a, you know, a caring smile and a, you know, just a hello. Sometimes, you know, they expect me to be stone faced and pissed off at the world, you know, crotchety almost. Yeah. Yeah. But it's nice to do that. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? I just, there's this like natural, I think every, like a lot of people feel, I mean, I, I even feel it and I can only imagine mm. uh, people like of color and, and, you mm. know, when a cop pulls up behind me, I get a natural, like, Oh, like, am I doing something wrong? Yeah. And like, are like what what are they thinking even they're in a cop car and they're probably like not even caring about what i'm doing but it's just yeah. that natural fear and it's like it's an interesting energy that's been created between law enforcement and civilians yeah no definitely and it um i think we're riding as a um you know as an uh, a subculture we're riding on the coattails of the that those that came before us and so you know that used to be here in texas a long time ago you know the cops were very authoritarian, mm. you know, and as we know, times are changing, you know, and it's the same job, but we have to go about it in different manners now. And so there's still some of that residual, you know, um, even other cops, like I work at the state level. So local PDs and, and sheriff's offices and stuff like that, they, uh, when a trooper pulls up behind them, even if they're in their patrol car, they're still like, oh, what did I do wrong? You know, it wow, interesting. It's, it's a real thing. Yeah. 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 And even for me as a, you know, in my civilian vehicle you know a cop pulls up behind me i'm still like checking everything on like am i doing everything right yeah yeah exactly you know <laughs> so when you look at the the kind of the societal things we're moving through and like that division and energy and you said you're kind of you're called to to shift that in some way you know i'm really 
I believe that a lot of this revolves around leadership mm-hmm. and learning to lead from the heart rather than from the the ego or the mind or the the old ways we've been taught, the authoritarian ways, the you know, just really redefining what leadership is and in yeah. society and culture, like we just don't really have very good leadership. Right. And that's across the board. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at, you know, law enforcement, how do you see it shifting or what are you called to actually shift within it? And is it is it possible even? Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. Po- everything's possible, right? Like there's no such thing as not possible. Um, for me, my, uh, my purpose is kind of shifting at this point in my life. Um, you know, originally when I got into law enforcement, it was to be that bridge um, of understanding between the two different subcultures, right, of policing and just society as a whole. Um, I'm feeling, and I've done my work for the past roughly eight years, uh, one person at a time, one traffic stop at a time, one interaction at a time, um, just changing that dynamic, uh, you know, showing up as a human rather than, you know, a robot. Mm. Um, And there's lots of experiences behind that. And now I'm shifting to, well, how can I leverage my, who I am and expand that? And so I'm looking to, you know, move further into our, our training division so that I can, you know, influence the next iteration of law enforcement officer that goes out there because, you know, they'll go out there and each one of them will have, you know, hundreds of thousands of interactions, you know, in their career. And each person they meet will change each other officer that they assist, they help. So like really magnifying what I want to do and how I want to leave this world, you know, Mm. the legacy I want to leave behind. And you're right with leadership. That's, um, that's where it starts. Yeah. It's beautiful. Do they have because there is such a human component in all the interactions. It's not just, you know, learning about the law and law enforcement, but it's really about how to communicate and how to have compassion for maybe what someone is moving through and not just come to every experience with, with judgment, which I'm sure is challenging, especially when you start having profound life-changing experiences because I'm sure you see all types of crazy shit that the normal person doesn't see. Yeah, And so to not develop a judgment when you first show up to a situation and having to like assess like the energy energetics of it. And like, what is this person like, who's at fault or like, what is this person really moving through? Where are they at? Even somebody that maybe did something that is against the law or bad, but being able to see maybe their life path that got them to that rather than just judging them for the act, but like yes. really bringing a lot of humanity. Is there any training like that kind of the human training within law enforcement? There's a, there's a little bit there's, they're starting. Right. And yeah. I can only speak from my experience, you know, and obviously you know, I kind of have to put this out there that these are my views. This is my lens of life. It's mm. not necessarily my department's view on things. Sure. Um, you know, but this is where it starts. It starts with us uh, boots on the ground. And we do have a little bit of training. We started getting into a little bit of yoga, you know, so they That's started cool. that. Yeah, a little bit. Very, you know, very light. Um, but you got to take baby steps. And then there's also uh, something we tried recently um, called heart math. And so it's very heavy on box breathing and getting that cohesion between the brain and, and the mind and the heart, you know. Nervous system and, regulation. Yeah. That's yeah. big for a cop. Like you pull into a thing and you're like, auto, like automatically heightened because you're yeah. like assessing the situation. It's usually a situation that's probably heightening everybody's nervous system yes. to be able to regulate. That's such a powerful tool. It is. And when you, if you think about it too, like there's a lot of times we show up and it's, re, you know, we call them repeat offenders, you know, or regular customers. Some guys like the old crotchety guys call them. And, um, you know, some of these guys have been yelled at their entire life. Women as well, like have been yelled at their entire life. And so when you show up there and you're, you know, swinging, you know, yourself around there and you're like, well, you start barking at them. They're like, oh, this is normal. I'm going to bark back at you. Mm. But if you show up like calm, cool, collected and like melodic and you're like, I was like, hey, man, it's okay. I just want to hear your side of the story. 
I just want to get a better picture. You're not like, hey, you're being a dirt bag, blah, 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 pointing fingers. We call it knife handing. You know, when you're telling someone to do something, sometimes you just got to holster that knife hand, man. Let you know, just chill that. out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. I love it. That, I mean, that's really the, I feel like the, like one of the biggest things that we're moving through and the biggest tools moving forward for anybody mm-hmm. is, is being able to understand, have an awareness of your somatic experience or your nervous system or your body. It's really about becoming more embodied and out of the, the realm of the mind and the thoughts and the narratives and the stories and the judgments, because naturally we're, we're all overlaying our perspective of reality always. Yes. And we all have our own profoundly unique experience and lens in which we view reality. And so me and you right now, we're having different experiences overlaid. Yeah. And so being able to understand that mm-hmm. and being able to have awareness of our own biases and then right. I, the way to do that is to, to learn to drop into the body and connect with the body, just like the meditation I took everybody through just really quickly is, mm-hmm. is connecting with the body, connecting with the breath, connecting with the earth, connecting with the present moment and getting out of our heads yeah. and being able to do yoga, things like yoga mm-hmm. and, and understanding the breath. Like taking a conscious breath, it's crazy how even me, most people our society, like we go through our entire day mm. without consciously breathing. Right. There's something super magical about the breath. Because right. it, it, it allows us, anchors us back into the present moment. And, you know, manipulating the breath with a longer exhale actually mm-hmm. scientifically is proven to drop you from a sympathetic fight or flight state mm-hmm. into that parasympathetic calm nervous system, which is where you can assess different experiences and situations yeah. for, with greater clarity. Definitely. And I, I really at the core of it all, it kind of it helps you to meet yourself, right? Especially as men in law enforcement as well and different, you know, your professional, though profoundly different than mine, has some very um, unique foundational qualities that transpire across, you know, from from being in the NFL. It's all discipline-oriented, right? Achievement-oriented. Mm-hmm. And there's a very similar person that does both of those, And right? And so at the end of the day, when you can only meet others as well as you've met yourself, mm-hmm. you know, as deeply as you met yourself. And so going around, you know, especially in my job, we get thrust into these crazy wild situations, right? They have nothing to do with us, but yet we have to pretend like we know everybody and talk to them like we've known them our whole lives and sell them some stuff they don't want to buy, you know? And if you are not able to understand emotions and what they're going through at that point in time, it makes my job a whole lot harder, Mm. you know? But when you can relate to them, you know, and you can um, talk to them eye to eye, not from a place above them on a pedestal, the job gets so much easier. I think that's what a lot of people feel, right? Is like mm-hmm. this person is like our society has given these people authority. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people view that, and I'm sure there is some bad apples, so to speak, of you know, mm-hmm. cops that take that and say, I, I do have power over you because right. I have this ability to arrest mm-hmm. you or do whatever. Mm-hmm. And that energetics of that when shown up in a situation. Right. really creates a dynamic that a lot of the issues probably arise from instead yeah. of like meeting meet them on equal. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, you totally hit the nail on the head with that one. I think what people need to remind themselves, and this, we've all met people like that, right? It doesn't matter what profession you're in. You can be flipping burgers at Whataburger or you can be a cop or you can be in the NFL or whatever it is. We're all human beings at the end of the day, mm-hmm. right? Uh, unfortunately, in my job, they expect us to be robots. And that's just generally across the board you know, we're getting more to the point now where they're realizing that they can only push us so far before we break or, you know, before stuff happens. And so rather than being retroactive, why don't we be proactive in our training? 
And so, yeah, being human, man, is the, is the one fault that we all have. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just exacerbated in the situations that we're put in as law enforcement officers. Mm. Let's get into some of the stories uh, that you have, because I'm sure you got a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You've shared a little bit of them. But I want to start with uh, this experience you've you just recently are moving through where you got in an, an accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're a motorcycle cop. Yep. Uh, which is a lot more dangerous, I'm sure, driving around on those things. Especially uh, in Austin. You have a personal one too, so it's obviously something you love yes. doing. Yeah. Um, but talk about that accident and how it's impacted your life and maybe shifted uh, kind of the direction of where you're headed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, short and narrow of it, really, I smacked a barrier head on at 50 miles an hour, got washed off my motorcycle in a very weird set of circumstances. Um, everything's meant to happen as it is. Right. And so, um, I took this as a blessing rather than a curse, you know? Um, and for me being as a, I feel, I feel like anyway, um, as aware as I am of my experience, um, it wasn't even a blessing in disguise. It was just a straight up blessing Mm -hmm. and being able to step outside of being at my job, you know, cause there's, there's a real problem sometimes with cops that they don't learn how to turn it off and be a normal human being. Mm -hmm. I'm very much a proponent of being able to turn it off. I have a ritual every time I go off duty. I blast a song sometimes with some 90s thug rap, you know, and it gets me out of my head and into my body like we did earlier in this podcast. Oh, that's powerful. So you actually have rituals that that, mm-hmm. that signify the, the shifting from I'm on duty to yes. off duty. Wow. Yeah. There's a really funny story about that if you don't mind me sharing. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, my sister lives nearby. She lives in the Fort Worth area. And I think I was going to go um, watch her kids for her for some reason. Um, I don't know if she's traveling or whatnot. And I got there and I had kind of been rushing around, you know, and so went off duty. I literally just ran to my place, got my stuff, jumped in my car, my truck, and I, and I drove up. And I get there and I got to take the kids to go to a game of some sort. One of the kids has a game. And so I'm hustling them around. So this rushed mentality from work all day to driving up there to get there on time, to get the kids out the door, you know, and of course, having kids is like hurting cats, you know, yeah. I don't have any of my own, but I've got a wonderful experience with yeah. my sisters. And I was telling one of them, I was like, you know, we need to go now. We're running late, you know, get your shoes on. And I told her like three or four times, um, as my niece, Annie, uh, and she's a wonderful little girl. And, uh, and so I was telling her, you need to go. And she was off doing something else in her own, her own world. And I'm like, Hey honey, we need to go now. And I had the trooper knife hand, you know, I was like, we need to go now. I'm being serious. Like stop fighting me on this. And she basically told me to piss off and <laughs> ran away. I'm like, Oh, but in that moment, I'm like, Donnie, you're not talking to a violator on the side of the road. Mm. You're talking to your niece. Mm. How old is she? Uh, oh, at the time she was probably like six. It's interesting that yeah. they can feel the energy more than most, right? It's like, well, yeah, we're all that way. And yeah. then life happens and we kind of get disconnected from that or, you know, and uh, I was like, Donnie, like, this is your niece, not, not somebody you're trying to arrest on the side of the road, mm. you know? And so I had to like shift out of, okay, trooper mode, knife hand, holster it, right? Now it's like, okay, what's my niece's love language? What does she need right now that she's rebelling? You know, and um, thankfully my sister had given me <laughs> a sheet of like, these are my kids. These are their love languages. This is how you handle them. And, um, and so she just needed some physical touch, man. I gave her a hug. I'm like, honey, we need to go. We're running late, you know, and it's not fair because everyone else is ready. And she immediately, wow, you know, got her stuff. And yeah, so. Um, That's a beautiful story because not just, you know, you being a cop, but that's mm-hmm. relatable to everyone mm-hmm. at a job. 
that they maybe feel, you know, yeah. heightened, activated, stressed, whatever it is, and then going home to your kids, your family, and yeah. bringing that energy with you, mm. and to have the self awareness to be like, oh, I'm the one that's activated. I'm the one that's in a rush. I'm the one. Like these kids are just, they're just living life, right? And like I want them to do something, and like I have this chaotic energy, and they're not gonna listen to, but like to meet them on their level and like yeah. own your own energy. It's like that's what real boundaries are, right? Mm. People think boundaries is like, I need to set my boundaries with people. Boundaries is knowing yourself and yeah. where you start and end and what is yours and what is not yours. And right. being able to know, even when this kid's misbehaving and not doing mm -hmm. what I say, not getting to a point of like, let's go and like deepening yes. it. Because it's like, oh, I'm actually, what do they need? Right. You know, and treating them like humans. And then you get the right. outcome. Well, and kids are a wonderful way to learn how to you know, learn what needs to be healed and of yourself. They bring up a lot of stuff for us, right? Mm -hmm. And we joke about it sometimes, you know, but at the end of the day, it's boundaries. Like you said, it isn't necessarily calling someone else on their boundaries, but you respecting your own boundaries first and foremost, because if you don't, nobody else will. Mm -hmm. And secondly, calling yourself on your own bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something that a lot of us don't do. Mm -hmm. And because it's, it's tough, it's not fun. It hurts sometimes, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but at the end of the day, that's where true healing happens and where it starts. Mm, I love this. I love we got we got a cop here talking about healing. <laughs> yeah. So so you so you're you got in this accident. You're driving mm -hmm. 50 miles an hour and hit a barrier. Is there yeah, what, what was the situation? Um, without getting too far into it, um, riding behind a box truck, you know, with a um, a, a new motorcycle officer. Um, he's doing his job, so it's nothing on his fault. I take you know obviously I won't put this out there. I take full responsibility for everything. Except at the end of the day, you know, I made the choices I made. But riding behind a box truck in an area that I didn't know. Um, and so he, we ride two up in one lane of traffic. So I told him we need to take the right exit. So we took the right exit. And then that exit also split into a left and a right. So like, hey, we need to take the second right exit. Okay, boom, he did it. I come across from the left side of this box truck, not being able to see, expecting a full-sized off-ramp. Well, it wasn't a full-sized off-ramp. It was a very short one. And so I came across and the divider was right there. Damn. At 50 miles an hour, smacked it, got launched off. I'm looking at it like it it was a very interesting experience because I also had another accident in which I don't remember. I remember up until I went off the roadway and that was it. Blacked out. Yeah. Well, I got yeah, knocked unconscious. Mm -hmm. And this one, um, I was present for the whole thing. Wow. And so I'm going up and over my handlebars and looking at the top of this uh, safety barrier. And I'm like, wow, that looks neat. I've never seen it from, the, from this. I remember this thought going through my head as I'm in midair, you know, and get flipped over. And of course, I land on my back on the concrete barrier behind that and roll, 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 you know? And for everything that transpired, right? I tore one ligament in my hand completely and then um, fractured the tip of my ulna, but- That's it? Yeah, that was it. Wow. Considering, I mean, you know, what protective equipment I was and was not wearing. Yeah. And like, you were present through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So what was, so did time slow down? Did what, like what went through your mind besides, mm -hmm. oh, that's interesting. At first that the time slowed down you know, in your head, you're like, F, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is going to hurt, you know, and you're just gripping that front brake and the rear brake and trying to bleed as much speed off before as Before you're off the bike. Yeah, before yeah. you make yeah. contact because that's what they teach you in training, right? You don't want, you don't break in a, in a lean or anything like that. It's just, just hit it straight, on. straight up and down. And that's where you're most efficient because it flattens the tires out and you get more of a contact patch. Mm. And so bled off as much speed as I could. And I'm like, it's inevitable at this point, right? And then you smack and you go up and over and you're just like, and in that point, when I'm going up and over the handlebars, that was slow. That was slow-mo for me. Um, after I made contact again with the ground, then everything's better because you're yeah. getting tossed around and everything. Yeah, 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 rolling around. So I just, I'm like vibrating right now because <laughs> it's almost, 
the, the training and and the, the like that's not something that you actually know mm. how to you're not you're not experiencing it because you're not going to go through training like hey we're going to hit this at 50 miles an hour and this is what you're supposed to do it's like right. a, it's like reading in the book like okay this if this happens this is what i have to do mm-hmm. and if i because i can imagine that's something i never even thought about but like if you try to avoid it mm-hmm. and like you hit then it could just be way worse right yeah i mean if you go hit sideways and your leg gets trapped between the bike and the and the barrier and stuff like that, then you're breaking femur. I mean, you're breaking all sorts of stuff, right? And yeah. that's even worse. And so for you to like, okay, I'm doing this thing, split second decision, and mm-hmm. to just like somewhere in your memory and your consciousness is like, this is how I handled the situation. And it's, it's right. you're not even thinking. You're just like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Boom, yes. hit it. In the face of potential like death. Yeah. To like, to, I mean, that just, I don't know. That just like makes me feel emotional, man. And it's, because yeah. even like, like football, right? There's mm-hmm. this, there's this sixth sense that you develop from training yes. and you stuff that you can't train for. Mm-hmm. But when you're on the field, you just got to, you got to know. Yeah. And like there's something, like some flow state or something that happens where it's like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And yes. for you to like lock in and do that in real time when life is on the line, like that's insane. Yeah. And that's a lot of what my job is. It's just exacerbated in the specific unit that I'm in, being the motorcycle unit. Um, there's a lot more danger, potential for hazard and stuff like that. And especially as a, if anyone, you know, that's listening as a motorcycle rider, you know, they'll, they'll understand that it's not a question of if it's a question of when, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, both times that it's happened to me, you know, of course we're riding a lot more, the more you drive, the more you ride, you know, insurance companies will tell you this, the more likely you are to get in an accident. It doesn't matter how good of a driver you are. Mm-hmm. And my dad told me this growing up. He's like, I'm not worried about you. Cause I've been driving since I was like five or six, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he told me the same thing. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about everyone else around you, right? Because mm-hmm. not everyone's present and paying attention. I've had people look at me just like you're looking at me, drive right into my lane of traffic in a you know, uniform on a police motorcycle. And I'm like, of course, pulling over. I'm like, hey, how you doing? You awake today? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how. That's kind of like my litmus too. If uh, if I don't, someone doesn't try to kill me at some point in time, you know, passively, I'm not riding enough. I must be stuck in the office or something. Uh, you know? Yeah, doing yeah. paperwork. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you so you're rolling on the ground, things mm-hmm. speed up, and yeah. you're laying there. What is the next experience like as far as laying there, just kind of processing and the pain, and then mm-hmm. like kind of going to the hospital? I guess like an ambulance comes. Your partner calls. Yeah, yeah. So we were. It was there's three of us, including mm-hmm. myself. Um, I'm you know of course hit that concrete barrier afterwards, and I'm rolling roll, 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 roll. And I'm on the ground. First thing is like, okay, I'm in a lane of traffic, right? And it's a single lane. There's no shoulder to it. I'm like, I need to make sure no one's going to come and run me over. So mm-hmm. I look, you know, I'm, I'm up, I'm seeing this. And I'm like, okay, I'm fine. Let me get up. And I'm like leaning on this concrete barrier now just to get my bearings, right? Do I feel a limb missing? Do you know, like all these, this general, you know, triage. Yeah. Um, and I look down and my hand is literally beside itself. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I got, I got some pretty grody pictures if you want to see them later. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking that up at for everybody to see. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's not normal. And this is going to hurt here in a minute. Yeah. So I need to get myself set up for when the ambulance comes. Mm-hmm. And so I get up and everything like that. And thankfully, the people behind us had stopped. Um, they blocked the traffic and everything. And some lady gets out of her car. Are you Okay. And I just give her the thumbs up and I hang my head and I start walking back to where that barrier was, where my motorcycle was. I find a little spot. I'm like, well, traffic's, you know, not moving. I'm safe here. I'm going to lay down because I shouldn't be moving around. My adrenaline's dumped. I don't feel what I normally feel. I can't really tell. I know this is. Yeah, you could have some serious injuries that you're just adrenaline is making, yeah. helping you move through like right. a broken leg or something. Yeah. And the, and the more I move, the more I hurt it. Right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And already I had felt, I mean, because 
maybe TMI, but I smacked myself on the windshield as I went up and over. So that was hurting as oh. well. So you feel that up through your your core and yeah. stuff too. Like, man, I just need, I'm just going to lay down. And so I did. And of course they got there ASAP, the ambulance and fire. And um, yeah, put me in the back of the ambulance and toted me off, man. Oh man. Yeah. And so was it, was it, was it hard getting back on a motorcycle? Was there any like PTSD? What was that process? Yeah, there always is, right? Yeah. And w- the biggest thing is just like if you have a, a vehicle, like a, a car accident, the best thing you can do is to get back in a vehicle and go yeah. again. Um, you're training through uncomfortable situations. It's um, unique in the sense that your body influences the motorcycle so much more. Than, I mean, because cars are basically like autopilot nowadays. Like even sure. before Tesla came out, like there's been times, I'm sure you've had this, where like if I was going to college, like from, to class or something, I wouldn't, I would get to class, especially if it's early in the morning, you're really tired. And I wouldn't remember to drive there. Yeah. Right. Car, they just drive themselves nowadays. Right? Totally. Um, motorcycle, not so much. You got to be present. And especially if you're in a police capacity where you're at the, you know, you're driving at 80% of your skill level all the time. Sometimes a hundred, if something happens, it's crazy. So, yeah. So talk about, there's obviously the physical healing, mm-hmm. which you're still going in the process of. Mm-hmm. Um, range of motion with your wrist, doing rehab, yeah. stuff like that. Talk about the psychological healing you know, alluded to a little bit like getting back on the bike, but what is what is that process like mm. for you having this awareness um, and 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 being able to like really like let go of that that trauma, right? Because this is a near death experience in a way. Like right. it could have gone a lot worse. All these things that the stories that get created in your head of like, oh shit, like what could have happened, right? And a lot of people that that affects their life in a in a pretty profound way. Yeah, it does definitely. Um, I think on a more surfactual level, there's a lot of shame. It's not the first time it's happened. So, you know, there's always that thing in the back of your head. Well, you know, you messed up. You could have done better. You could have done differently. Like, yeah, of course, you can armchair quarterback yourself all day. Uh, but at the end of the day, what happened happened, and it's all how you handle it, right? Um, we're all human beings. We're all fallible. So that there was a level of shame I had to deal with in and of myself. You know, what am I? What am I? Um, buddy's gonna think? You know, I mean, we've all all of us have had accidents, right? It's just the nature of the, of the game at this point. But um, but you always make it personal, right? We're our own worst critics sometimes. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I would say more yeah. so than anybody else is. Um, but there's some good books um, by Louise Hay. Uh, you can heal your body and heal your life, and they really help um, give you a, a good framework on what certain physical ailments um, and injuries correlate to on an energetic and emotional level. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you could literally look up, you know, if you have allergies, you know, what does this correlate to? Um, you know, you got a, a hangnail, you know, these all are physical manifestations of energetic trauma that we have. Right. And so, um, for me, there was a lot of like authority, living my truth, stuff along those lines. With the wrist injury? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so yeah. it's interesting, right? Because because the, the 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 natural skeptical part of myself, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, and I've it's one thing like I can connect with asthma, right? Mm-hmm. Like using using Sarah, or she had asthma when she was really young, and she would have mm-hmm. to go to the hospital, and it was a, a moment when she got a lot of attention and love mm-hmm. from her parents, mm-hmm. and so she'd have these asthma attacks, and she'd go to the hospital, and she'd get all this love, and so there's mm-hmm. a natural like, oh, this asthma gets me something like love or something that I desire, and so. Mm-hmm. Every time I have an asthma attack, that's what happens. And so it creates this unconscious connection of like, right. I don't want to let go of this asthma because this is what it prov- has provided me, right? So right. That, and that, there's obviously a lot of nuance and complexity to that, but that's like mm-hmm. the gist of some psychosomatic disorder or experience mm-hmm. and how it shows up in the world coming from inside ourselves. You right. know, even like cancer, you can say, oh, mm-hmm. what, what, what blockage do you have that's creating this cancer? Yeah. That all makes sense. 
But for people like the fact that you got on a motorcycle accident and yeah. hurt your wrist, mm-hmm. and then there's a psychosomatic, spiritual, energetic, emotional thing mm-hmm. where this wrist is teaching me something. Yes. And there's a lot of power and pro- profundity in that. Like, mm-hmm. how, how, do you just, how do you explain that? I think the big thing too, and, and speaking from my perspective as a you know, young white male, type A, um, you know, coming from a conservative family, you know, this is my lens I'm speaking from we're very severed from ourselves as a society in general, especially men, and especially in law enforcement or military paramilitary organizations. Um, you know, we have to set ourselves aside to really show up in these situations and handle them properly. Right. Like, you know, to see someone die or something like that, or someone that's been traumatically injured, they're bleeding to death. You can't be like, Oh my God, this is terrible. You need to be like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Right. I'm going to get my first aid kit, my tourniquet. I'm going to throw it on you. We're going to stop the bleeding. And then we're going to get you to the hospital. Right. Very, brain in your head. Um, so the big thing coming from that is that our body is telling us all the time what it needs, what it's experiencing, what, what's going on. And for the most of us, we don't, I, I don't like to say most of us, but for a majority, we don't listen to that. We don't know it's actually talking to us, mm. right? We're so dissociated from our bodies. We That's are. a big issue with our culture and society. Yeah. And, and not even in the sense of like drugs and stuff where mm. like people purposely disassociate from their body yeah. because of traumas and stuff. Yeah. But this I mean, so you use all these things like Netflix content, social media, eating, eating food, right? Yeah. yeah, everything, sex, whatever yeah. it could be, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and I've and I've also gone through that. I'm no different than anybody yeah, me too. else. Yeah, yeah. I think we, that's the part of the work we're all being called to do is like, how do I listen to my body? Like, right. listen more. Well, especially with this whole pandemic that we had, you know, mm. this was a really big, huge opportunity for the world as a whole to take that step and level up. You know, and some people did and some people didn't. There's no shame either way. Mm -hmm. But really because it took away all of our coping mechanisms, right? Mm -hmm. We couldn't go out and socialize anymore. Or it really reinforced some of the other ones like our drinking habits and stuff, you know, or if we're in abusive relationships, like now we're with them all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think getting back to the question you were asking, we're just disassociated from it. And sometimes for our logic brain, we're like, I want to be able to quantify and qualify what this is. Oh, it's literally just a bone that broke. Or, yeah, but there's something else that created that attracted this situation to you because everything is energy. Mm-hmm. A thought is energy. You know, the food, this table, um, we are all energy, right? And so like attracts like. That's a whole law of attraction thing, mm-hmm. right? And that's a fact. No. It is. Like yeah, science. scientifically proven. But everything's energy. It's just vibration mm-hmm. and it's moving at different speeds, right. different frequencies. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's widening the perspective of what the self is. Mm-hmm. Like this, this idea of the capital S self, right? You know, and like Carl Jung's work with the collective unconscious, it's like a psychological perspective on, I mean, call it God, you can call it universe, you can call it source, you can call it energy, you can call it whatever it is, but there's something that is connecting us. I was listening to an Alan Watts speech Mm, uh, the other day and he's, every time I hear him talk, it's just profound, Mm. just his way to to talk in metaphor and story for us to understand, but talked about even even space the space between us there's it's not just empty there's energy between us right and so that is connecting us so we are in the Mm -hmm. same hologram the same experience Mm -hmm. of life and we're not so separate we're having this separate experience and Mm -hmm. i think that's a lot of people's idea when we're dissociated even from our bodies Mm -hmm. it's like this journey of reconnecting from just this thought realm into this physical body realm and then Mm -hmm. into I'm actually everything in this room as well because I can't be in exist without being in relation to it. And a good good way to think about that is 
with a tree, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't separate a tree from the ground and from the sky and from the oxygen and from the sun. Right. A tree is not just a tree by itself. A tree is the roots in the soil, mm -hmm. the, the oxygen that it's using, the sun that it needs to live. Right. It, it can't be a tree without all that stuff. Yeah. And so it's connected to its environment. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that we're going through these experiences and you look at your wrist injury in a spiritual energetic way. It's like, what have you, what have you come to teach me? Yeah. And even the motorcycle accident in general, like there's an easier way to look at that as like, Oh, maybe I need to slow down or maybe I'm not looking right. where I'm going or maybe I'm on the wrong path. And so there's a lot of deeper meaning. Yeah. So with you in particular, what did that, that experience or kind of going into the deeper reasons why and really contemplating that, what did that teach you? So I, I do want to lead off with this, though, too, because it's funny. I'm known as the resident hippie in my job. Um, it's so like, funny. I work, well, everybody uses the word hippie if you're yeah. like spiritual or like. Right, you're just connected to yourself, man. You know? I like hugging trees. Yeah, I do, man. Try they, it sometimes. Because they hug me back, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm known as a resident hippie. And so like I like to use essential oils and stuff, too. And so um, I want to put this out there because a lot of guys will send me memes and stuff. And they'll like have some picture of like you know, old school, like World War II guys on the battlefield and his buddy's holding them and he's got like a bullet wound or something like that. And he's like, hold on, bro, I'll get you my lavender essential oil, you know? <laughs> I want to I want to put this out there that in that moment, I was not thinking about the energetics of it. Oh, you know, yeah, I'm like, okay, course. this is going to hurt. This is bad. Midair, you're like, why is this happening yeah, to me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, give me the download <laughs> I now. need to slow down because I'm flying through the air and I'm about to die. Yeah, exactly. What's the energetics of this? Like, no, that was not my thought process sure. at the moment. But... Um, I think the part that differentiates how I experience things versus some other people that would have experienced the same thing is that afterwards, I'm like, okay, what led up to this, right? You talk about the tree and how, you know, as above, so below. There's a root cause to all this, right? This is just a symptom of what was going on in my life at that point in time. My, you know, they're telling me, hey, I need to slow down. I need to take a step back and step out of this role as a state trooper. And I need to reevaluate my life, okay? Where... And maybe even come back to who I was, right? Because I had lost a part of who I was. I was stressed out all the time. Um, I wasn't showing up as my best Donnie, you know. And the world needs that. The world needs the specific brand of what I have. Mm. And by me not sharing that with the world, either by not living my truth or just by, you know, getting um, pulled away from who I really am, I'm doing the whole world a disservice. And so that whole experience, as far as like the emotional, energetic, this life in general from this, was a pause, like a sacred pause. And um, one of the things that I had been toying around with for years and really hadn't stepped fully into is like kind of one foot you know, out the door, one foot in the door was bringing, uh, I'm also an energy healer. I'm a Reiki master. And so for me it was like, okay, I need to also leverage who I am and my healing um, abilities, right? It's not necessarily me doing the healing. Obviously, you know, this is, I'm a conduit for, for other, you know, for energy, for source. Um, I need to step more into that because I've been kind of living in this life of, you know, one thing or the other, when mm. in reality, they're the same person, yeah. right? The hippie or energy healer and the state trooper law enforcement officer, they're the same person. And so I need to bring a little bit of both to each of them. Mm. And so stepping more into, um, I guess that my, my healing practice was uh -huh. the big thing. Yeah. That's how you spend the, how, how long ago was this? It's been a few months? As far as the accident. Role? Oh yeah, it was uh, March 22nd. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, so I would love to hear more about the 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 Reiki master energy healer. Mm. Like when did that process start for you? Is that something you were always kind of connected with or did it come online at some point? No, it came online. Um so I'm super grateful. My sister and I are really close. Um she's about 10 years older than me. 
Um, so we didn't grow up in the same house for a long time. Um, she was off in college when I was like second grade. Um, but she was kind of, she's always kind of been like the, the catalyst for change in our family. And, um, and so she had already started her Reiki journey, uh, right before I had left New York. She's like, Hey, I know. And, uh, she's like, I know you're going to get into, you know, this profession, um, when you move down here, even before I moved down there. Um, and she was like, Hey, you're going to be thrust in some really, really shitty situations sometimes. And you might need tools to not only help yourself, but to help others. Because at one point in time, you may have to take someone's life, right? At the, mm. at, at the very worst, right? How are you going to handle that? You know, can you handle that on your own? And so really, it was just a learning the tools. And so I basically have been doing uh, learning and practicing Reiki since uh, right before I was a trooper. So just as long, about mm. eight years. Wow. Yeah. So they're kind of parallel paths. They are. Yeah. Oddly enough, I never thought about it that way. But yeah, they're, you know, at the same time, just kind of. You and know. so how I, I'm sure it's be, you become more because uh, and naturally I'm just thinking like if I was doing Reiki and I was in the NFL, I would be mm. viewed a little bit differently. And so oh, yeah. kind of like I'm sure you've gotten more comfortable mm. as that being a part of yourself around the other officers and being more in the culture with this energy. Right. Um, how has that process unfolded? Was it like, were you not really talking about it? You kind of like putting it in the closet for a long time? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, there's also this balance. I'm really good at balancing things because I obviously, are you hold, a Libra? No, I'm a cancer. Okay. I'm a, I'm a feely boy. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, or as my friend calls it, a sensey boy, you know? Nice. And, uh, for me, it's more or less, I've, um, it's a balance of, do I really need to push this out there and like, you know, throw it up basically on everybody or can I just live my truth and that be enough? Um, even in the academy, same thing, essential oils, you know, my, my sergeant in the academy, like, same as what do we smell like today? I'm like, lavender, sir, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, you know? Uh, but after you live your truth for so long, it just kind of becomes normal. And so hence I've been known as the resident hippie. So going from there to going back into work, um, you know, it's, it, I'm a whole different level of hippie now, you mm -hmm. know? And so there's going to be this little bit of, possibly turmoil while people get used to who I am now. Do Because I, I noticed that they're, because in their society, even like mm. there's a natural judgment, it's different. And then the, yeah. the, 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 the skeptic and people have their, their paradigms, which is shifting collectively, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Is there been over the last few years during this kind of collective shift that's happening, has there been more people in your department or in your life that kind of know who you are and are coming more curiously to you asking mm -hmm. questions of like, I'm having these experiences or mm -hmm. I'm, I'm more interested in what you're doing because of where the world's headed or what I've noticed in who you are. You know, it's like that group think when you're like right. walk into the department and everybody's like, oh, the, the mm -hmm. resident hippie. But then in the locker room, a guy's like, hey, man, I like, would love to talk to you more about this because I'm having these experiences. Yeah. So um, honestly, as in, in the policing world, not so much. We're all so inundated, especially at the state level. You know, there's defunding going on and stuff. And I think we're kind of realizing that that's not the way to go about things. And so we're coming, coming out of that. But as a state, we are at the end, we pick up the slack for other, you know, places and agencies and stuff that can't handle what they have going on, you know, because of funding or whatnot. So we're all kind of wrapped up in our own thing. But I have had this more in the civilian realm. Mm. People will, you know, knowing my story, like, hey, I got XYZ going on. What can I do? Right? And everything comes back to the self, right? Like you can't handle it. it. There's nothing you can control outside of yourself, right? We all, a lot of us know that. Um, so I've seen it more person to person, but I always show up that way anyway, regardless. I've, as of late, stepped more into my truth. 
And by living authentically, I give other per, others permission to do the same. And so for me, I haven't seen that much yet, but I know when I get back to doing my thing, that's it's going to be much yeah. more palpable and visual. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've had some crazy experiences. I'd love to just drop into some of the some of the experiences, both you know, intense, um, and then maybe you know, just the things that maybe you've learned the most about yourself, or that maybe changed who you are in a pretty deep way. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, as a cop, like it's almost like I, I I'm just understand. I live in a bubble in a lot of different ways, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, just mm-hmm. like my socioeconomic status, like being able to have money where I live, like all these experiences. But to be a cop, like you're confronted with kind of the most intense experiences mm-hmm. kind of in humanity pretty regularly. Yeah. So yeah, t- share a few of those that you feel called to, to bring in. Yeah. Um, we had talked about, I mean, last time we met over at, um, at Sun Life, you know, um, I've had a couple near-death experiences, um, four of which come to mind, both two of which being motorcycle accidents, right? Those offered a lot of perspective. Um, and then also like when we had this collective shift during the pandemic of, you know, of um, hating law enforcement, you know, collectively and um, needing change and needing, you know, to a shift. That was also, I had two near-death experiences with that. Um, kind of just basics without going into too much detail, between the two experiences, the first one was kind of like, and maybe some others that have had near the death experiences might be able to relate to this. One of them was like, you didn't realize until afterwards, like, oh, shit, I might have died. Yeah, I could have died, you know? And then, of course, then you have to deal with all the things that, well, you know, what would I have gotten to experience because I died? You know, I didn't say, you know, I love you enough to somebody. Like, it gives you, it offers you a lot of perspective. Um, but then there was also the, the last time it happened, which was the most profound because for me, my Reiki journey has been an eight-year journey so far. And, you know, um, if anyone's familiar with your journeys, there's different, you know, you have different levels, you know, one, two, three, which is your master um, class. And so the first one you go through is kind of like, it's a day, you know, an afternoon or something like that. And you get introduced to energy. And so basically it's like, oh, yay, sunshine and daisies. The world is wonderful. You know, you leave it feeling very happy. Um, the second level, and of course, this is over the course of years, you know, or months at least, um, not like day to day to day. The second one, you're like, oop, you hit a little road bump, like everything's still okay. You know, this is still wonderful. It's just a little hiccup, you know, no big deal. And then you get to your master course, and you're like, oh my gosh, the world is on fire. Like <laughs> everything is ending. It's apocalypse. Like, ah, like I'm totally trash, right? You, you feel that way. And you're like, I have so much stuff going on. Um, and so for me in my Reiki master journey, I had actually gone through twice. I went through the first time and it's a 12 month course. I went through 11 months and my uh, master and I decided that I was not ready. Um, I was so distracted with work and things, um, stuff going on in my life relationship um, that, you know, ended shortly after that. Um, And so I took a year sabbatical after that. So really it was a three year journey just to do my master's. And then I came back and my final time I went through my master's was during the riots. And so it seems very odd because you're going through such an enlightening and getting in touch with yourself experience. You're becoming more sensitive, which is not a bad thing. While also you're getting a very intense experience at work, working Mm. a month straight of 14 hour days with literally one day off. Um, And I think starting that we had like, it was like 48 hours or more that we were at work you know, and riding a motorcycle. You this know. is when the George Floyd stuff yeah, happened. Yeah, and so you're experiencing all this, 50,000 people that just want to kill you, yeah. right? They hate your guts and you're here holding space for them. 
the, you're holding space for their right to yeah. protest you. Wow, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, and that's intense. So that's a lot of energy to hold. Yeah, yeah. And there was, I mean, th- that whole two month period, um, it was more than that too, because there was, you know, residual echoes oh, it afterwards. Still is. Still, yeah. yeah. I, th- I still feel like it's a hairpin trigger, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there were still like the, all these experiences that came of that. Um, yeah. And I mean, I remember one in particular, you know, we're, we're just standing there in a line, holding the line, protecting state property and stuff like that. And people, and um, this one woman is just so like literally spitting mad, just yelling and spitting at someone else next to me in this line, right? We're all just standing there. You can say whatever you want. They're throwing frozen water bottles at us, bottles full of piss, like all sorts of stuff. And I look at her and I see that she has a tree of life necklace on. Mm. And so there was a pause in that. And this was my opportunity. I didn't even think about it. I just said, I'm like, I like your necklace. And she looks at me like, who the F are you? Right? Like, I was like, yeah, that's the tree of life. Right? And she like looks at her necklace and looks at me. I was like, I actually have my chakras tattooed down my spine. I think that's wonderful. I like your necklace. And she's like, you can see the gears turning and she's like, what the hell just happened? You know? And she looks at me and she up and downs me and she's like, that's a shame. And I look back at her. I was like, is it, is it really? And so in that moment, I was able to, we call it an OODA loop, your loop of thinking. I was able to break that OODA loop for her and show her that we're human beings as well. And we're not so different. Mm. Right. Cause I think one of the big things, and like I said, I preempt this, this is my feelings. It's not my department's feelings is that no one dislikes bad cops more than other cops. Sure. I'm, right. Yeah. Cause it makes us all look bad. Totally. Right. It just like we talked about before one bad apple can sometimes perspectively ruin the whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, no, because they don't see us as like, oh, this individual officer or this department. They see us as a whole. Yeah, cops any cop is a cop. Right, that's why they call us cops. I'm technically a state trooper or highway patrolman. Mm-hmm. I'm not a cop. You know, whatever, potato, potato at this point. They mm-hmm. see us all the same. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting. So what was that? I mean, this the two months, like, mm-hmm. you guys were just all called on, like, hey, this is this is getting real. Like, yep. what, what was the, 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 like, experience, like, as far as, like emotionally, the, the the experience and the energy of all all of your other, you know, coworkers going yeah. out there and just like the conversations that are being had and like mm. really confronting like this this like civil war that is breaking yeah. out and you guys are right in the middle of it. Like I obviously all that stuff's going on and I I was watching it, I was feeling it, and it was really intense. But I wasn't actively like right in the experience. Yeah, it was it was huge for all of us. I mean, I've had a you know. Policing has changed a lot. My dad was a cop um, back in like the 70s. And so um, same job, different way around it. So the experience, it's interesting because we, we joke about it. He lives vicariously through me now because he misses being a cop. Sure. You know? yeah. yeah. So he's like, hey, I don't care what time of day it is. Like, even if, it could be two o'clock in the morning. Call me if something crazy or interesting happens to tell him. So I do. But um, as far as the experience as a whole, though. It must be nice to have someone that has a shared experience yeah. where you can actually be heard and seen. Because yeah. that's one thing about like football. I know it's a completely different, different experience, but I can't go talk to somebody about what I experienced in football and have them actually hold space for me because right. they don't know and they don't have a shared experience. And very few people actually have that experience. Like if I, if I meet another former player and we yeah. drop in, it's like, okay, like I can dive into deep sure. into my story. Yeah. 
And so to have your father to be able to be like, hey, like I'm mm-hmm. actually processing this intense experience, that must be such a gift. Yeah, it definitely is. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, because it's so different, um, he just listens. And that's, I'm so grateful for that. Mm. Um, but as a, like, as a whole, though, we, I mean, it was, our lives were put on hold. And we didn't know, we didn't know what was going on. Like I literally slept at work for a while because I, there wasn't enough time between shifts for me to go home. I mean, I lived 15 minutes away. I couldn't even go home, sleep, you know, shower even, and come back. Like I had to stay at work and just take off my uniform, sleep in my underwear and socks, and then get back up, throw it back on and go out again, you know? Wow. Um, it was it was pretty intense, but it was one of those moments where like, I'm living my purpose, you know? It's one of those things. So I wasn't mad about it. And of course we get paid overtime. So like, there's always that as well, but that's not the reason we do it. Totally. But your life's on hold. And thankfully I have a wonderful group of friends that stepped up for me. Um, my buddy was watching my dog for me. Um, so it was, it was very interesting. How do you think we heal from those types of collective psychological traumas? Cause that was just, that's something that was just cooking. And obviously there's a lot of mm. frustrations with that was in the middle of COVID as well. So yeah. it's just like all these different energy dynamics and mm. we're still feeling like this, like the world is just a, a crazy place and yeah. so many things happen. So how do you think we, we heal collectively through this kind of psychological collective traumas that we've faced? I think it, we still heal at an at a individual level. Um, I think for us, there was a lot of unhappiness going on um, as a whole. Um, and so obviously your emotions find the path of least resistance to come out, right? And so for us, it was like people were unhappy about a lot of things, not necessarily about us as a policing subculture, but this was the easiest avenue for it. So there was, I felt in my my own experience, there was a lot of hate that was coming out that was not from what we yeah. were talking about. You guys were the scapegoats for all this yeah. energy. Yeah, people were unhappy with their own lives and stuff and, and their what they were doing or not doing. Mm. And so we were just the punching bag for mm. it. Um, you know, and we all signed up for this job, but you know, at some point in time, someone's got to say, that's not really fair. You know, that's not, um, that's not what we, what we're here for. We're here to make sure that nobody dies and nobody gets hurt at the core level, right? That's what our job is. Mm-hmm. We're not here to take emotional abuse day and night. We are still human beings. We still have our own feelings, our own shit going on. Um, and so it's just one of those things where collectively we're all sitting there and we're just like, okay, we just have to be stone-faced and out of our bodies, like disassociated. You know, and at one point in time, I'm looking down at 50,000 people that are coming at me, some with weapons, some with just protest signs, like all sorts. It's, it's almost like like, uh, like the military, like a war zone, you know? And we're like, you don't know who's friendly, who's not. You know, and even the people that did support police that came out with their guns, you know, like, well, that doesn't help me at all because I don't know you. You could be posing as this, you know, so it just, you're always on edge as fight or flight mode. Mm. And collectively, we're all, we're all exhausted. Like your adrenaline's been dumping 24-7 for the past two months. Like you are wiped out. Your body's degrading. You can't eat enough. You can't sleep enough. You can't do any of these things that fill your cup back up. You are empty. You are a shell of a person. It's pretty impressive at that that state being so activated, malnourished in a way, not being able to take care of yourself. And like, it's pretty impressive that nobody in that experience mm-hmm. like pulled the trigger or like got, right. got you know, there's like holding the space mm-hmm. in that way. Like that's, that's like gotta be honored. Yeah, yeah, no, the, it's definitely a good thing. There were a few instances where like, of course in the news, there's like less than lethal um, munitions that were popped off and people thought they, you know, they either weren't, used properly. There's always that armchair quarterbacking thing, but as a whole, well, there's like sandbag kind of, yeah, like little pellets. bag round, yeah. but they're expired. So they're super hard. 
you oh. know, as far as I know. This is just secondhand knowledge, obviously. It's a different agency. It wasn't the state police, so I can't really speak to that. Was there any experiences that your department actually faced where there was actual things that were got a little bit out of hand? No, but so as a whole, like, we um we don't take sides right like where we vote our convictions like that's part of like what we call our general orders like you vote your convictions you don't go out and protest you don't go out you are so you don't do that stay neutral yeah exactly stay neutral and there were some um younger troopers that didn't do that yeah they they, yeah they did their own thing and they quickly got sent away Mm. um and kind of you know got their pp slapped if you will yeah yeah because you could feel that like just the way they show up it changes the dynamics we have we have to be uniform because if you're not uniform, that's like a chink in the armor. I don't know if you can say that anymore, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, that's a weakness in the line, uh-huh. right? If they see you, if you look different, if you act differently than everybody else, then they're, they're going to focus on you and they're going to break the wall, break whatever you're trying to protect. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Wow. Well, well, I mean, well done. I just, yeah. I can't imagine holding that amount of energy, literally people coming at you ready yeah. to kill you with so much hate and to be able to just like, yeah. Hold it strong. Well, in that instance, I will say, like, oddly enough, because if I were to consciously think about it, like 50,000 people right in front of me that hate my guts and want me to no longer be breathing. To me, consciously, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't can't hold space for them. But in the moment, it was effortless, mm. you know, and that comes back to not we talked about like. Do it like your body just does like that flow state. It just does what it does, right? Something working through you. Right. Because I had put all this time and effort into healing and being present and holding space for myself, I did it no problem for 50,000 people wow. there and let them do their thing. Man, that's powerful, brother. Mm, it is. Well, when people are yelling at you, you know, like old Vietnam stuff, you're a baby killer, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think too, it, it also is kind of easier because you're like, well, that is so far from the truth, man. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm, I want to hug everyone, love everyone, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually kind of easy sometimes to disassociate from that. Well, yeah, and and for you, I'm sure it's a little bit easier because you you know who you are. Mm-hmm. Or maybe some of the troopers that aren't as strong in, in knowing sure. who they are, maybe identify too much with the identity or their story, then it might trigger right. a little bit of like, whoa. Like yeah, they take it personally. Take it personal. Yeah, and you can't. This job, you, you're not allowed to. Like, that's like, it's part of the job description. You can't take anything that happens to you on duty personally. And at the same time, we're human. So it happens once in a while. But as a whole, no, because that, that's recipe for failure. Mm-hmm. You know, you end up on the news that way. Yeah. So what's your what's your vision now? You're going through all these experiences. You're you're coming back rehab. You're you're mm-hmm. waiting to get reinstated, right? Mm-hmm. It says a little bit of paperwork. Yeah, yeah. And so what's your journey forward? Is it is, do you love being a cop? Is that something that you want to continue? Or state yeah. trooper, sorry. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I earned that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, uh yeah, I, I definitely will continue doing that. Part of me who I am, um, I'll 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 be honest, who I am as a person is as I think vastly different than what the norm is per se for sure. um a police officer. I've learned to be a good police officer, a good state trooper. Um, so I think the world still needs me. You know, as as far as like my personality, who I am as a person is not someone you would put normally, like associate with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. It's also the most necessary for the job, you know? Yeah. It's like the the spiritual warfare we're going mm. through is like you're you're on the front lines, like yeah. doing the good work. It's it'd be easier for you to be like, I'm over this. Mm-hmm. I want to go live in Costa Rica with my hippie commune friends yeah. and Pop do smoke, yoga every dude, day. I'm out. I'm going to be naked yeah. in, the, in the trees in Costa Rica or something. Yeah. yeah, it's totally easy to do that, but that's not where we grow. Yeah, and and it's not like the the experience we're going is like all of it is God. All of it mm. is the experience. All and and there's this collective shift happening, and yeah. so it does take that the the warrior mm. to show up like the spiritual warrior to show up and 
bring this energy into even the darkest areas. And, mm. you know, I'm sure law enforcement, there's just a lot of societal, systemic energetics that are are within the culture of law enforcement for you to show up and embody a new way of doing being it's it's like not not even anything you really have to do it's mm-hmm. the way you show up and the energy that you carry because we, we even talked about earlier like everything is frequency and that's what mm-hmm. when you start raising and 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 elevating your own frequency within like that literally affects the people around you they yeah. come into co-regulation and mm-hmm. if you're if, if there's a ton of people that are down lower vibe and you're confronting all those different energies all the time and so yeah. for you to keep the high vibration and you go talk to somebody that's on the street that's like you said getting yelled at all the time and you come in and treat them like a human right that's having an impact on them on so many different levels that you can't even you can't even quantify yeah well and, and it's funny you say that to treating them like a human because that's one of the things i love about my department is that we don't have cages in our cars, right? We, we don't stick, we're not treating people like animals. Mm. We sit them in the front seat next to us. Now, granted, I will still push your knees into the dash so you can't kick up my windshield and stuff like that. But as far as that goes, like we treat people like human beings, wow. right? I remember I arrested a guy for, you know, having illegal, like lots of illegal drugs. And, um, how many, was, how many, like what, 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 well, tell like, me about the bust. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a guy traveling cross country and, um, he had brought like a few months, um, he said it was for hit for a few months that he was going to live in Ohio. And of course, give you some BS story about where he's going, why he's going there and stuff. And yeah. it was like also it was felony level. Like, so like cannabis? Like, yeah, it was cannabis THE products and um like waxes and all that kind of stuff. There's lots of It's interesting because Texas is one of the last states where that is actually even mm-hmm. really like it's really legal, but you drive down from Colorado where right. that would be a completely different experience. Exactly. Yeah. And so he and of course it was just a really weird situation, but End of the day is a felony, you know, and so I'm transporting him. I was up in the panhandle. So like you're an hour away from jail. So it's a, it's a long ride, right? So it'd be really awkward if you're sitting there, this guy's pissed off at you and telling you that, you know, you're a piece of shit and stuff. Yeah. So we end up talking about essential oils and like life and stuff, man. And like the decisions that he had made and everything. And like had a really deep conversation with this guy. Is that stuff that you record and mm-hmm. is, can be used against him in, in court? Yeah, technically, because you, yeah. you want to make sure, like, they want to make sure that, like, your transportation from wherever you, he was arrested they to got the cameras jail. everywhere now. Oh, well, especially now. This is before body cams, okay. right? And, but we still have in-car video and stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah, it was all recorded, man. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. How much cannabis it. did he have? Because I just, I asked because, I mean, I've driven across mm. the country with cannabis. I probably shouldn't yeah. have been doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be honest. So, he had a lot of different, like, strains, like, little medicine bottles full of different strains. Uh, but then he had one um, THC product, right? So, when you... Um, extract the THC and concentrate it, that's where you don't need to carry as much to get a felony. So that one uh, Jolly Rancher he had was a felony in and of itself. All the weed products, like the normal, like different like strains and stuff. And yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, was, it was like a sight, sight and release, what we call it. Yeah. You know, so you get a ticket and on your way. That was not. And so that's what really did it, man. On top of like the vape oils, like yeah. the same thing. So he had a whole THC, pharmacy in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Yep, so he it's, had, it's obviously intent as well, a right? A smorgasbord, yeah. <laughs> if you will. So, like, if someone has, like, if it is for personal use, is that it will be treated differently than not here in it? Texas? Not here in yeah, Texas. Yeah, yeah, not yet. Um, yeah. It, of course, is that you shifting. See the, yeah, I mean, you see, like, states just are doing their thing, especially here in Austin, right? Like, it's a lot more um, culturally accepted. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sure at some point in time it'll happen. Yeah, you know. Um, what about yet. other drugs? Like, when in, I love like some actual personal experiences, but mm-hmm. like. Let's say you find somebody that maybe a kid that's partying and he has, you know, mm. some ketamine or some coke or some mm. like a couple joints on him and he's out and you like 
stop him. And mm-hmm. you're like, wow, if I take this kid in, I could ruin his life. How much right. of your own choice and agency do you bring into those type of experiences? And do you have any personal experiences of that? And mm-hmm. or like wider stories of, you know, how you would treat that? Because I think it's really interesting, right? Like mm-hmm. the intent of a drug dealer coming, slanging sure. a kilo of Coke and on the street and like, you know, slinging dime bags for people yeah. is different than a kid with a baggie that's going to have a good time. Yeah. So what you're speaking about, the con- the concept is called discretion, right? Mm-hmm. And so my job's full of discretion. At the same time, there are some things that my hands are kind of tied on and I have to do, right? There's department regulations, policies, and laws that say I have to take this specific action if this is you know, the situation I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhat, and it depends, like there's lots of variables. You talk about age being a, a minor versus an adult and stuff like that. Um, I'm not one to ruin someone's life. Now, this one is it, the story that I'm thinking of off the top of my head is not necessarily drug related, but I remember pulling over a family in like a 80s suburban huge, big thing, dilapidated, like rust holes through it. And it's like eight of them in the suburban going to the laundromat later at night to do their laundry. They're literally clawing through the seats to get changed to do their laundry, right? So at that point, like I find something wrong with that vehicle. We don't pull people over, right? We pull cars over. So I see this car, third brake lights out, or not a third brake, because they didn't have them back then, but a tail lights out. I pull it over to let them know. Of course, then, you know, I find out that the license is suspended or there's no insurance on the vehicle. There's no kids aren't wearing their seat belts, you know, all these different things. I could have written them like eight to 10 tickets, right? Mm. And if I was an inside the box thinker, I would have done that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm like, well, what this is what's going to happen in my head, extrapolating beyond this current circumstance. I'm going to write them all these tickets. They can't even do their laundry. They don't have enough money for their laundry. So I write them all these tickets. They're not going to be able to pay any of them. They're going to go to jail. The adults will. That leaves the kids SOL, you know, in custody of somebody else, right? If they even have anyone else to, to give them to. Or these tickets are going to become warrants. And so then the license is going to get suspended. And then that was a whole cycle too. If your license gets suspended, you can't pay the tickets off. Like, But you have to drive to go to work, yeah. right? You're going to get pulled over at some point in time. You know, we're real good at doing yeah, our jobs and finding bomb. people. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, how, how can I best serve this person, the community, you know, Texas as a whole, how mm. can I best serve them, right? So in that moment, it's like, okay, well, I might get in trouble for this, but I'm going to write them one ticket and seven warnings. And I'm going to make sure that they get to the laundromat, okay? And then from there, they're going to understand the situation as it is, right? Like, you're, you know, your license is suspended. You can't drive. You're not supposed to be driving, right? While also understanding that you still need to go do live, right? So, um, yeah, it's real hard sometimes because I, so long, my big litmus for me is like, if I can sleep fine at night, I'll, I'll do my job. Mm. Doesn't matter if I get in trouble or not. Yeah. You know, um, have you I, had any experiences where you've struggled with the decisions you've made? Have you been pretty <laughs> grounded in everything? No, I, I'm, I'm pretty grounded. I think it's more, um, I've, I've gotten tired of getting in trouble <laughs> with your <laughs> you department. Know? Yeah. I'm, I so mean, they like, they ask you like, how, how does that process work? Do they like every ticket you do, do you have to explain yourself and the paperwork no, or not so much? I mean, everything's recorded now. Right. So there there's regular, um, like your supervisor. So as a trooper, you have a sergeant, right. Who's uh-huh. your first line supervisor. And he kind of audits what you do every so often, right. You don't know when it's going to happen. Randomly. Yeah. Just to keep checks. On they'll it. ride with you and watch you do your work. They'll also do what they call video check rides. And so, um, They'll, they'll, they'll check, make sure you're doing your job properly. And um, there's still the human element. So if y'all don't see eye to eye, um, my sergeant in the panhandle, we saw, we were, I mean, eye to eye, we we're very much the same person. Um, and so long as we can sleep well at night, we're handling our jobs properly. Mm. Um, 
And then down here, the sergeant that I uh, had most recently, we did not see eye to eye. It was very much an inside the box thinker. Um, neither good nor bad. That's that's his experience, right? Um, and so I was constantly having this kind of battle of, okay, you need to start doing this more than, you know, the, they don't tell, I guess maybe let me reel this in real quick. We don't get quotas. There's, mm -hmm. That's not something we do. Mm -hmm. um, we are just expected to go out and quote unquote meet people, you know? And so however that happens, that happens. Um, but yeah, I have had a, um, some pushback, you know, and like I said, so long as I sleep fine at night. Yeah, I mean, this is like a microcosm for kind of our collective kind of the, the paradigm we're shifting out of, of like the Newtonian, Cartesian, physical, objectified reality that you can measure scientifically. Right. And the way I'm bringing that in is I love what you said that you're, you're here to serve and how mm -hmm. best can I serve these people? How best can I serve right. the, the, the city I'm in, the city of Austin? Mm -hmm. Like that perspective Right. is seeing yourself as the role of really trying to, like the purpose of a cop is to keep order and make sure everything's kind of flowing smoothly. And I'm sure yeah. you can describe it in a more elegant way, but you're, it's not rigid. It's not like this is by the book. This is right. what I have to do. And, and I'm sorry, but like mm -hmm. this is what, and that's such a, like a reductionist perspective, like the closed yeah. mind. And like so many of us are getting lost in that box, even yes. with like politics, right? It's like, most people can't even argue what why they're a certain side. Yes. The only thing that if you ask them, you know, is they talk shit on the other side. Right. Because that's, that's all the media does is like, mm. if you're a Democrat, it's like, this is how the Republicans are running the country. This is right. this. So they probably know Us more about the other them. side mm -hmm. than they do about their own. Yeah. And so to, to widen the perspective out is just, it's what we all need to do. It's yeah. we live so now, in a paradoxical reality. It's both and. How can you hold the energy of everything and have that wider perspective where you're not getting too lost in the rigidity of yeah, it? Yeah, the minutia too, right? Mm -hmm. And especially for like people got to realize that, or people have to realize that our policing subculture is a reflection of society. Society created policing as a whole, right? So if you're mad about it, at the end of the day, guess what? You're also responsible for that, mm -hmm. right? whether you vote or not, whatever, it doesn't matter, right? We all created this. And if you want to change that, you need to change. Mm -hmm. And so it really is something that, you know, you can, I don't know, it, for such a, a rigid profession, there's a whole lot of flexibility that's needed too. Because my job changes at the drop of a hat. Mm. I mean, I might get called, say I had to go to work tomorrow, I might get called to go all halfway across Texas, right? And Texas is huge, like 13 hours, yeah. 14 hours from top to bottom. And so it's like, I could get called and I have to drop everything I'm doing to do that, you know? So for such a, you know, a job that needs such flexibility, we're also so very rigid. And I feel like that's kind of fading. Mm. Maybe that needs to fade, whether mm. it is or not, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you got a pretty good pulse on, on, on kind of society, at least mm. locally here in Austin. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it feels to me, you know, a big part of the podcast the listeners that, that follow me and listen to this podcast is I'm really interested and intrigued by this collective shift that's taking place. It feels as if there's this expansion of consciousness, this, mm -hmm. this spiritual awakening. It's definitely, I'm seeing it in individuals more and more, right. but looking at it societally and culturally, like with the pulse that you have being out there, like, do you see a shift happening? And, you know, even like, 
you know, some people getting so lost because like we talk about the divide as people kind of wake up and then the mm. people that really struggle to let go, it's almost like they're holding on or real tight. they don't have the tools. And so they're maybe getting more into drugs, alcohol, making mm-hmm. bad decisions that require you to show up. Mm-hmm. So kind of just what's your, what's your view on kind of what's taking place collectively and how do you view it uh, moving forward? Like what does the next few years look like, next couple of decades? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier where you know, this whole pandemic um, was an opportunity for everyone to take a step, like a huge leap forward as a, as a collective, right? Not just individually, because we all have our own minutiae experiences, right? Um, some people did. Some people were like, wow, I have all this going on inside me that I wasn't aware of because I was placating it by, you know, being super busy or drinking or dating or all, whatever, you know, insert whatever your, your thing is here. Um, so some, some people did, and it's coming more and more to the, the forefront of like, okay, I can see how this is like the great resignation. You know, you hear about that all the time. People are just madly unhappy with their lives and they had all their coping mechanisms taken away during this pandemic. And now it's like, okay, well, I'm now stuck at home with this partner that's abusive to me and I have no way out of it. I'm not happy. I can't cope. I can't, you know, do something else in that uh, to, to kind of fade the heat off that. Um, I don't like my job you know, or whatever it is, or something about my life. And so now we're like much more aware of it. So I see things changing. Um, this kind of started the snowball rolling down the hill. I think it's going to gain more traction as time goes on, um, especially as more people start living their truth, right? We give others permission to live their truth. And I think that's super key, right? And it all starts here. Yeah. And like what the interesting thing is, like what happens collectively to a system that we've created when people start being more authentic and in their truth and then really start disengaging from this society that is, it's, it's really just a, a story that we yeah. made up. Yeah. And a lot of people are like slaves to it, not, not just like physically in like their experience of life, but mm-hmm. psychologically there. And it's not just, you know, talking to a law enforcement officer. It's not like right. the, just the laws we've created, mm-hmm. but it's the stories of who you think you are, what you have to do, go right. to a nine to five job to work for retirement. And it's this big fallacy of like the goal of, kind of the, the collective story that we've created is I'm going to go hustle, grind, work my ass off so one day I never have to work again when I'm 65. Right, right. And I'm super grateful because I got to retire when I was 29. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now, like you can't live life. Like The goal is not to be living on a beach somewhere, right. drinking a Mai Tai and not have anything to do because you'll you'll hate it. Yeah. I promise you, you'll hate it. Yeah, yeah. It fades after a while. And I think the thing people don't realize, one of my favorite sayings is, we know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And so once you're aware that you don't know what you don't know, then you're more open, right, mm. to things changing. That's why, like, traveling is so important because you see other cultures because what we think is normal may or may not be normal. Totally. You know what I mean? I remember, for me, normal, having a, nor- like a, a normal thing for us growing up um, was having these pancake dinners, right, where it's pancakes with corn in it and we put some ketchup on top. And that, looking back, that's when we were tight on money, right? But that's my experience. That was normal to somebody else. Like, who the hell eats pancakes with corn and ketchup? Like, what, what, what are we doing here? What is this magic? You know? I'm try that. Yeah. <laughs> was it good? You liked it? Oh, yeah. I loved it. Uh, I loved it. Did you ever yeah, go Bisquick? back nostalgia? No. Oh, I can't. My, it would tear me up something fierce, man. Oh, like, yeah, 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 it's yeah. not good for the stomach lining, huh? No, no. Not, not yet. I'm working on that. I'm, I'm rebuilding my gut as we speak. So, um, but yeah, so like what's, what's normal to us may or may not be normal to somebody else, right? And really what it comes down to is, is being open-minded enough to just collect knowledge right? The more knowledge you have, the better picture you have of life as a whole, you know? Um, It's almost like real freedom is knowing that you don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, because life is so much more delicious <laughs> when you um, when you allow it to be, right? Because we're so, like I said, it's inside the box stuff, right? And if we're so, we see what we want to see. We meet people at the level we've met ourselves. And so if we want to find, cops are really good at this, right? And this is why a lot of marriages fail is because we are good at finding stuff wrong. Mm. And for those of us that can't turn it off when we go home, we find things wrong with our children. We find things wrong with our partners. We we find things wrong everywhere, right? And so life gets so much more miserable when you're constantly seeking out what's wrong. And that's all you end up seeing. Granted, having that perspective of like who I meet, because we don't show up when times are good, right? We show up when things are bad. Yeah, You know, you've done something wrong. There's an active shooter. There, whatever it is, right? We show up when things are bad. We don't, we don't get invited to weddings or birthday parties or bat mitzvahs, you know? Yeah. We don't get any of that. Mm. And so kind of a little bit of a tangent, that's what I focus on at work. I try to show up for things that are fun. And in a community policing-oriented sense, I ride by a little boy on a motorcycle and he's tugging on his mom's shirt. He's like, oh, look at that. Look at that badass. I will I slam like on the brakes, whip around, and I will bring him in and we're going to sit him on my motorcycle. We're going to take pictures. I'm going to let him start it up turn the lights on, honk the horn, turn the siren on, like all the things, right? Oh, in that. that moment, I've changed someone's life. Yeah. Right? I can't tell you how many people I've become good friends with because of that. Yeah. You know? That's epic, dude. Yeah, I yeah, love Perspective that. shift, pattern mm -hmm. interrupt. Is there anything, because it's such a, it, it's, so many people are are suffering, right? And what is suffering? Right. But if you're just, you're just not happy, you're not, not living the life, not yeah. being your authentic self, out not of knowing alignment. your truth, out of alignment. Oh, mm -hmm. it's so big. Yeah. So do you have any, like if somebody's listening to this and they may feel out of alignment, lost, confused, what, what are some things that can help shift perspective or widen and expand their level of awareness? I think one of my favorite sayings that helps me get through some tough times, maybe not in the moment, but after the fact, is that in the end, everything will be okay. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Mm. You know, and that's always lending me so much perspective. Like I almost want to get it tattooed somewhere, you know, like it's that that powerful for me. Um, but I think more practically oriented in in the moment, we talked about this, the power of the breath. Mm. That is huge, huge. Because what's the first thing to change when you experience a palpable emotion, whether it's excitement, whether it's, you know, fear, anger, what changes first? Your breathing, mm. right? And so if we can influence that. It's like a domino effect. You know, it, it can go either way. You can either feel the emotion and it changes your breath or you change your breath and it'll change your emotion. You know, so it can go either way, but breathing. Mm. And we talk about it too. I mean, a lot of people see like um, Navy SEALs are really big, you know, now it's so all writing books. They all have their training courses. They all have these things going on. And one of the first things they all talk about is like breath, box breathing and stuff too. Um, you know, and I think too, just on top of that, that everyone goes through this. Maybe not your specific set of circumstances, but what you go through emotionally at, at the foundation, like everyone's gone through this or is there someone else out there going through this as well? It's just, you're not alone, mm. you know? And um, we recently had, um, you know, a law enforcement officer here locally um, that took his own life. And um, yeah, it's always rough. Yeah. It's always rough. Um, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Is it someone you were close to? Um, kind of in, in physical proximity. Yeah, I mean, I knew him. We had done training together and whatnot. Um, we weren't like best buddies or anything. How does the How does the 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 department handle something like that? As far as like psychological processing, mm -hmm. therapy, being able to like talk about how that makes yeah. people feel, especially the people I'm sure that were really close to him. It's like yeah. start feeling guilty, mm -hmm. shame. 
Yeah. Well, I could I didn't know if I would have known I would have done something different like all these stories that come up. Yeah, there there I'm I'm blessed enough to work with a state agency that has a wonderful budget. We pull our, our support and our budget from the entire state. Um so we have plenty of resources. Um you know, it's I think what it comes down to is like you can lead a horse to water you can't make a drink. And so there's stigma still behind it by behind getting help and whatnot. And so um I think that's where it needs to needs to change. And naturally, I mean, this, cause you've, you've shared some experiences, you know, and, and you could talk a little bit about this where you, you were holding a little girl when mm. she was passing away. Yeah. Like these experiences can really have an impact on an officer that mm. doesn't know how to psychologically process them. And then it could lead to something tra- traumatic like this. Right. Or they don't even know that it's okay to have the feelings that they're having, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was it. That was actually my first really transformational experience as a law enforcement officer um like the short and narrow of it i was up in the panhandle working night shift um kind of like in the middle of nowhere and one of the guys one of my co-workers got in a pursuit with someone who was um possibly intoxicated while driving and um so i hear him i hear the radio traffic he's calling it out at, you know step by step and i start to head his way to to join in on the pursuit and as i turn around to go down there he you know calls out of the radio he just intentionally went to the other lane in traffic and tried to have a head-on collision, something like, something along those lines. Um, and there's, you know, it's a vehicle wreck now. And so um, I hear this and I step it up. You know, I'm I got a Dodge Charger police car. I'm hauling butt, right? And I get there, and this guy had, you know, um, he had a lot of things going on. You know, sus- license suspension, sex offender, like whole nine yards, violated probation, you know, all the things drunk and of course drunk on top of that. And in that moment, that guy was like, and this is my intuition, like, I don't want to live anymore. My life sucks. It's terrible. I don't want to be here on this earth anymore. And he goes to kill himself by driving into oncoming traffic. And he can't even do that right. So now he has to live with what he's done there. And so I get on scene, right? after the fact. And this vehicle's pulled over on the side road. The, the violator had a truck and he was, had rolled it multiple times and landed all four wheels upright in a pond. So he was okay. He wasn't drowning, wasn't doing anything like that. I mean, okay as you can be if you got in a motor vehicle, right? Sure. And all I see there is a woman with her child screaming with the child in her arms. Obviously this is a major vehicle wreck. I grab my, we call it IFAC kit, so first aid. And I run up there. And, you know, she's yelling at me, save my baby, save my baby. So I grab her, um, 13-year-old Jara Brees, um, and I go to, um, with the help of another trooper that came up on scene, go to perform first aid on what I can do. And she gurgles and dies in my arms. And in the moment, right, I'm, I'm shut off emotionally, right? I'm here to do business, to do work. I'm here to save people and, you know, make sure that everything is safe and secure. So mom's screaming in my ear, you know, because she also knows that her daughter just died, right? And you're saying like, wow, like this is heavy. And then there's also another girl, her sister that was in the back seat, that also is injured and possibly dying. And it's like, I can't sit here and be for this here in this moment. I gotta now make sure that her sister's okay, who she ended up like lacerating her liver, bursting her spleen, losing a kidney, like all these different things, right? And there's also still somebody out there that could possibly have a gun in a vehicle. So all these things wow. are happening. And it's like super heavy, 
you know, um, that was my first, like after the fact, I got a chance to delve back into those feelings. I'm like I'm bawling my eyes out, yeah. you know? And I remember I got called back because of course court system takes forever, right? I got called back up to the panhandle. Um, and the DA up there calls me onto the stand and I'm sitting there and I'm, I am dressed to the nines, right? I have my tie on, my, my good felt hat, my court boots that click clack as I walk down there. So I, there's a presence, right? And I am fitting this image of a, of a trooper. And I sit there and the first thing he pulls up is um, it's a picture of her under a white sheet. And um, I lose my shit. He's like, what is this? <laughs> and I could barely get the words out. And that was it. The jury saw that, my reaction to that. And this other guy, what, max sentence, everything, like, you know, um, even to this day, I still feel it, like, in my heart. I've, <sighs> I've processed it, you know, um, but it's still kind of there, left a mark. Hmm. Um, I can feel that, man. I'm the first feeling. one always, always hurts the most, you know. Every cop will tell you that. The first time you see a child, and I honestly, if I'm not mistaken, the officer I had taken his life had that experience as well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. I, I mean, I can feel the intensity of it. Like, there's so much, so much there. Mm. Yeah, it's it's something that'll stick with you forever when you experience that firsthand. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, poor girl. Poor yeah. family. I mean, family. the ripples that send, get sent out from stuff like that. Yeah, and, and for me, I think the one of the things I couldn't even grasp at the moment was like, she's 13 years old. I was like 20... I mean, I got out of the academy at 24, so I was probably like 26, something like that, 27. I felt like I hadn't even started to live my life yet. Mm. And at 13, that light was snuffed out yeah. by someone else's decision. Happens like so quick too. It just puts things in perspective. Like it's to be, you know, I think that's one thing that as like a society and culture, we like really don't confront death that often. You know, no, we, we avoid it. We avoid it. We try not to think about it. Yeah. And stories like this, it's like, holy shit, like when it comes so close to the surface, it really, it's really sad. It's really intense. It's really like, there's a lot of grief in there, but it's also a, a reminder yeah. of how precious life is and how it's going to, like the one absolute truth that I do know for certain is impermanence mm -hmm. and life is not forever. Absolutely. And what that does, if you fully confront it or have an experience like yourself, I'm sure mm. creates this sense of urgency or this just this able to let go of the little things a little bit easier and get out of your own way. Be more present. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing too, is, is I think as a society, which, you know, policing is a reflection of society, we like to avoid things that are uncomfortable. You know, but that's really where the growth happens. Mm. You know, if we are constantly avoiding, um, you know, speaking as men, if we avoid things, we're breeding in fragility into our lives, right? Because you don't have the coping mechanisms there to be able to handle whatever situation comes up. So for me, I actively seek out discomfort, right? Whether consciously or subconsciously, I do that. If I'm going on a run and I can take, you know, this first turn or I can take the second turn and it adds, a, you know, whatever it is, like I always seek more discomfort because that's where the growth happens, whether physically or emotionally, mm. you know? Yeah, if you could take anything away from this conversation, it's that. Yeah. yeah. Growth only occurs outside your comfort zone. Yeah. In the unknown, mm -hmm. 
shows you who you are, what you're capable of. Yeah, it's like it's like um, you know, whether a mental or physical muscle, like if you don't use it, you lose it, right? Mm. And so I use the shit out of it. <laughs> I love it, man. As much as possible. Well, what's next, man? I know uh, you mm. talked about writing a book. You're getting more into this 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 Reiki energy healing, kind of mm. creating some different uh, offerings. Is there anything yeah. you want to share about as far as uh, moving forward, what you're yeah. working on? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, the the book is very much still in its infancy, but it really talks about my experiences as an, as an energy healer and a state trooper and how I find that balance and the lessons I've learned along the way just through my own experiences. Um, so there's lots of, you know, near-death experiences and lighter stuff too. Lots of mm-hmm. fun, funny stories, you know, because every cop has tons of stories, right? I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there's that. Um, I'm also, I have um, definitely um, dealing into my my healing practice more. So, you know, taking clients on, doing that kind of thing as far as one-on-one and coaching. And I do have a couple of courses coming up too, which I'm very excited about. Um, three just... I guess, regular offered to everybody courses, um, an alignment, balance, and acceleration course, just as far as coaching, helping people get out of their own way. And um, I don't know if we can swear, but like unfuck ourselves, you know, that oh, kind of you thing. Can, you can swear. Like oh, that, cool, man. man. I've, been, I've been playing it low-key this whole time. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, and then I also have one um, called the Reman process. And so as men, we're kind of societally told how we should and shouldn't be and stuff. And I think there's a, been a lot lost yeah. um, in, the, in the past few years, if not decades. So really reprogramming ourselves as men to show up um, and balance out our masculine. Like I feel like a lot of problems that come from men in particular are, are a lack of actual masculinity, mm. not a, not an over abundance of it. Yeah. So um, yeah, so there's a class on that that I'm working on. And then of course, just sharing, giving, bringing value to people on social media. You know, I'm active on Instagram and, and uh, yeah, where, where can people talk. find you? Um, so it's the dot Donnie with a Y dot Samus S A M M I S. Yeah. Cool. We'll have that in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to drop anywhere else people can find you? Instagram is the best way. Yeah. Usually Instagram is where I'm most active, you know, um, it's a lot keeping up with all these social medias. It really is, man. It really is. Oh man, Donnie, I just want to honor you, brother, for the work that you're doing, uh, for your openness, your vulnerability, and really just being an embodiment of what, we, I mean, really just like elevating the expectation of, 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 of being a law enforcement officer and just embodying the energy and being of service in that way. And just yeah. the way you're showing up and just the stories that you've told and the openness. I, I'm just really honored to be in your presence, man. It's just really, really deep work. And I, I respect you and I appreciate you, dude. No, thank you so much. I really, I mean, like attracts like, right? So I feel like there's there's a lot of honor and respect going your way from me as well. You know, um, we have great conversations outside of this. So this is just a, a was nice to press record. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I look forward to doing this again with you, man. Yeah, absolutely. So Thanks, brother. Yeah. yeah, and thank you all for listening. Um, if, this, if this podcast impacted you, uh, Definitely share it with with others uh, and don't hit, forget to hit that subscribe button. Got a really a lot of good episodes coming up. Uh, really appreciate it. And thanks again, Donnie. Yeah. Mahalo, man.